0: This episode 14 of the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week's introduction is coming to you from the lovely Echoey Dungeon here in the offices at Somerset House. This week we're going to go all the way back to early September when I was in Germany with Danny Miller, the publisher of Weapons of Reason and the managing director of Human After All. Uh, We were there speaking at the IndyCon magazine conference, and we're going back because this week, I'm afraid, has completely ran away with me. We had the Stack Awards on Tuesday nights and it was brilliant fun and we awarded some really fantastic magazines and you can see all the winners on the stat blog along with our videos from our judges talking about why they chose the magazines that they did Uh, but all of that means that I failed to catch up with a magazine maker this week so fortunately I have some lovely interviews still left over from IndieCon. so I'm going to tap back into one of those this week. I should say that me and Danny go back a very long way. He was actually the publisher of Little White Lies magazine when I very first started writing for that mag like 10 years ago and that was my first real taste of independent publishing so i have a lot to thank danny for and as i hope you'll hear he is a really really interesting guy with a a really strong altruistic strain running through the the work that he does so whether that is with the publishing playbook which is a fantastic free resource that's out on the internet for anyone who wants to make their own magazine or whether it's through Weapons of Reason, a magazine that wants to inspire change in people. Everything that he does points back to these, I guess, kind of lofty ideals, except he's way too modest to ever call them something like that. I'm not as altruistic as Dan, so I'm going to take this opportunity to remind you that you should buy Stack as a Christmas present for somebody you love this year. Um, buy it before Sunday, the eleventh of December, and we will also send you a free super mundane Christmas card that um, that he made just for us. So now we've got your Christmas shopping sorted. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode uh, with me speaking to Danny Miller. All right, so I'm sitting uh, on the edge of what looks like a bandstand or torture facility.
1: <laughs> bandstand <laughs> the, come torture facility? At the back
0: of a German villa with, uh, with Danny from uh, Weapons of Reason and Human After All. Um, Dan, thank you very much for taking a few minutes to talk. It is my pleasure. Um, we were here uh, yesterday speaking about all of your works and and how they led up to the publishing playbook um, and I think that um, the publishing playbook is just like one of the best things so um, tell us a little bit about what it is and why you decide to make it
1: um well thank you you're too kind um so the publishing playbook is um I mean first and foremost it's just a document it's um it's a google doc that you uh, that you can read it's 13,000 words of stuff about making magazines. Um, it's everything that I, and um, and not just me, um, my colleagues uh, have learnt about making magazines in the past 10 or 11 years that we've been doing it. And we just decided one day that we should, that we should write it all down because it might be useful to someone. And um, we love seeing new magazines and we can think of no better thing than to have more lovely independent mags out in the world. And we figured that if we could commit what we knew to paper in some way and, and and sort of give that out to people then that might um be a small point of encouragement and so this
0: is a, a google doc yes so people can just search for publishing playbook or what, what's the site itself that
1: well it's um if you go to publishingplaybook.com, there's a is a very simple holding page which tells you a little bit about what it is and then you sort of just click on a button and it takes you to the google doc and that's it and anyone can go in there
0: and what will they find
1: once they go in there um so they will find well i mean like a contents page that tells you all of the sections of the playbook everything from uh naming your mag to making a media pack to commissioning illustrators uh, finding advertisers figuring out distribution getting a great printer um so the, the contents page sort of links that to all those areas and then yeah if you just scroll through i mean you could read it in one go you get a bit <laughs> bored like, um, you can just read through it and, and go through all those things or you could pick out bits which may be of particular interest to you and then throughout the doc it links out and the reason it's a Google Doc is so that it could be online and so that it could link out both to other online resources whether that's another website by a completely different person that's interesting or, or to other Google Docs such as a um, and these are all Google Docs that we've made as well like a spreadsheet for commissioning illustrators and keeping a track of how much you've spent or a spreadsheet for making a um, calendar or a, um, a schedule for making an issue of a magazine and giving up workload between staff. There's um, And they're all sort of, you know, you can just take them and duplicate them and adapt them as you see fit if they're things that you might want to use. I think there are maybe eight or nine other documents like that.
0: So these are all like real Practical live things have come from like your years of making magazines. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're what we use now. I mean, this sort of stuff, the, you know, every year there's like one or two books published about um, making magazines. Me and you have done uh, master classes for The Guardian where we've been paid to teach people this stuff. They paid us? <laughs> <laughs> I got paid. Oh my god. <laughs> Do you have uh, attempted to? sell this rather than just make it free what's the what's the motivation for doing that
1: i mean I, I guess it's it's not all like altruistic it's not like um oh we just really wanted to give it away free although um i'm very comfortable with that it's in a way it's kind of practical i mean i don't we weren't producing a uh a beautiful coffee table book full of this stuff it is just a written document i don't think anyone was really going to pay for it to be honest with you I mean, we couldn't. I don't know how what payment mechanism we would have set up for it. it, it so it was kind of like, you know, it's part as wanting to be nice and just put something out there, and that's genuinely kind of exciting. And it's part just it seemed like the most obvious thing to do, really just just bang it out there. And I've seen documents like this in other areas. I've seen other companies uh, open sourcing things that they do. Companies big and small. Anyone from Tesla and SpaceX, uh, Elon Musk gives away all of his um, proprietary information down to other uh, smaller companies like us it's just it's a good thing to do i think i think it's a it's very like internet thing to do it's very uh a a modern um thing to share knowledge i think modern thing but you know it's very like it's something that since the internet came around not that the internet is like super new anymore um a lot of people just just choose to do because they can
0: yeah it's interesting i think that you uh reference elon musk with that so Um, Me and you went to South by Southwest a few years ago, Mm -hmm. and Elon Musk was speaking at that event. Oh, so you saw him, yeah, at the same time as I did, I saw him there. But you saw somebody else who fundamentally changed your life (laughs) at that event. Nice segue there, Steve. (laughs) I
1: did, I did. did. Um, So, yes, so that same year that we saw Elon, um, which was very inspiring because he's he's a heck of a guy. Uh, I saw Al Gore giving a talk. Um, I think it was the final talk of the, the weekend, or certainly the final keynote. And I hadn't even super planned to go to it, but I did, and he was speaking about his book, which came out, so this is three and a half years ago now, called The Future, which is about the six biggest, most systemic things affecting the future of humanity, be it um, the fact that we're all going to run out of food, or the fact that um, our climate systems are fucked. They're all great things, <laughs> lovely things. Um, no, they're, they're, but it was just all super interesting, and the way he explained it, in person there and then his book which I sort of bought bought on the way out of the room they had a table selling them um, was just super clear and understandable and relatable and I just loved it and I just thought it was brilliant and figured that um, where we had been speaking about uh, well for my part movies through making um, Little White Lies which is a movie mag um, perhaps we could speak about something a bit more important if you want to call it that um, and use the the skills that we learnt to talk about things that were really important and things that were really complex um, and that just seemed like a really exciting thing to do so as soon as I saw this talk and read the book I just felt like we had to make um, a magazine about about the same the same topics and that magazine is Weapons of Reason it is yes and Weapons of Reason was a quote or a line on the very last page of the book so serendipitous there that I, I saw it it was a quote from Marcus Aurelius who was a um, Roman emperor in like 5 A.D. and uh, I think I'll go quoted him on the last page of the book. And yeah, as I got to that page, I was thinking that's a perfect name for a, for a magazine. <laughs> sounds a tiny bit much, <laughs> um, but you know, it's a, it sounds sounds good. And the URL was available, so there you go. The the acid test for the acid, uh,
0: naming any magazine.
1: It is yes. If the URL is available and the Twitter handle is available, which it also was, um, chances of that are pretty slim. Although I suppose weapons of reason is a slightly random phrase.
0: It wasn't like. Um, it's a yeah. long Twitter handle as well, you take a lot of characters with but that. But still,
1: you know, everything's gone these days, everything's gone. Um, yeah, no, when I, when I saw that they were available, that was a clincher.
0: So you pressed ahead and <laughs> made the first issue of Weapons of Reason. Um, tell us uh, about, I mean, for anyone who's not picked the magazine up, what is the point of, of the magazine? Um, well, that's a good question because there is a specific point
1: to the magazine, um, which I should add is, is a rather lofty one that w- um, will not be achieved um, until we've we've stuck at this for some time um, and that point is to try and turn knowledge into action specifically so to, um, to tell stories and give information and explain information about things in such a way as people are compelled to go and do something um, you can break that down you could say um, they might be um, compelled to change their view on something um, or they might be compelled to actually go and physically take some kind of action um, but just Getting people to do stuff like moving, motivating, um, moving the needle, as the, uh, our American clients would say, uh, in, into a, into actually getting off your asses and doing something, um, and, and doing that, you know, from a magazine is is not a very easy task. And we've we've tried to 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 point people from the end of our stories to the many ways that they can do this, um, and had some success. I, th- I think we've conducted a reader survey after the end of each issue asking people to be brutally honest in how they felt we'd done and they didn't think we did a good job on issue one and then we got slightly better over issues two and three. So,
0: yeah, we're sort of slowly figuring it out. And so a a big part of the way you do that is by taking these very big, complex issues like uh, climate, which you view through the prism of the Arctic, or like um, health, which you view through the prism of ageing, and you break them down into sort of like manageable chunks which Mm. you then commission as very thoughtful but accessible written through pieces or as infographics or as illustrated pieces and you try to make it more accessible to people
1: yeah just just I couldn't explain it better (laughs) um yeah there's a lot of infographics well first of all there is a lot of illustration both because we have a lot of experience commissioning illustrators and we and we know lots of them we're lucky enough to to know uh, cracking illustrators from all around the world, but also because illustri- illustration gives you a lot of control over how you visually tell a story. It's a practical thing in many ways as well. We um, we could not afford, or do not have the contacts to send photographers all around the world capturing things in that way. Um, uh, but we can we can think really hard about a story and use sort of visual thinking, as you might call it, to to tell a story with an illustration in a way that is both smart and grabs people attention and also is a little less um heavy maybe. Um we don't want Weapons of Reason to uh, to to look childlike, but we do want it to have a certain lightness of touch about it that doesn't if the topic is very dark or complicated, which which many of them are, that doesn't put people off or put you know, that that's sort of like that, that that pulls people in even to a to a difficult story. Um, so illustration is great for that, and then a lot of uh, data visualization, not complex data visualization, um, n- nothing with tons and tons of layers of data, m- more sort of simple and clear data visualization um, that sort of backs everything up and substantiates everything that we're talking about, and and a lot of maps as well, um, like trying to geographically place people in in stories and give them a real sense. You know, it's easy, for example, like someone could be reading a story um, about. Um, the fashion um, industry in Dakar which we wrote for our second issue and at the end you say so where is Dakar I mean if someone asked me that before I made the Mega Cities issue what was a reason I wouldn't have been able to sell you wouldn't. I mean I had a vague idea so it's really important to us at the start of that story here is a map of Dakar here are all the places um, that we reference in our story positioned on it um, and yeah just like really simple things and also there's no like complex terminology in the magazine when i read a lot of history books i basically have to look things up on wikipedia about five times a page because i'm like don't know who that is don't know where that is so we have a glossary at the end of the mag and we try and steer clear of anything that people may not know about any terminology that they might not Mm -hmm, know about mm -hmm. so yeah it's i want to say sort of simple not simplistic which i think is a kind of phrase that people sometimes use it's not like super oversimplifying it but it's certainly stripping out anything that um If you haven't done an economics or geography or history degree, that wouldn't
0: befuddle you. And of course, all this is just a small, small part of what you do with your time because you also run Human After All uh, and work with a ton of really quite big clients to, I guess, do a similar sort of thing for them in terms of communicating the things that they're trying to get out into the world
1: yeah i mean um yeah it's it's a really small part of what I do unfortunately because i would I would love to to do more of it, not that i don 't enjoy uh, working for, for human after all which is which is amazing um but yeah our, our work is moving our client work, the stuff that pays the bills and uh pays for my uh, my lunch and whatnot um is sort of moving more in the direction of what we do with weapons of reason, so the types of clients uh, non governmental organizations like the world economic Forum. Charities like International Alert or a peacekeeping charity who we've just rebranded or Girl Effect um, who are part of the Nike Foundation. um, Weapons of Reason has brought us closer to them. So um, for us, I kind of think of it as the story and the strategy. This is something I learned from um, Ben Horowitz's book The Hard Thing About Hard Things which is a really good business book is that you should always align your story with your strategy. So the thing that's going to make you money and pay the bills should align with the, the mission and the thing that everyone's like super pumped about so i think we've managed to it's only taken like 11 or 12 years but we we figured out how to do that um, which is something that we couldn't really do with little white lies because we loved making little white lies but it was never going to really point us in the direction of um super sustainable
0: client work or it just wasn't a super sustainable thing it was more of a labor of love in a way but so now you feel that you're you're on this path towards something that actually all kind of it's a virtuous circle, so that mm. you have one thing reinforcing the other. And I think crucially, also, you seem to have a real social mission with a lot of what you're trying to do now. You you feel like you want to try to make a positive contribution to the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't, and will never like try make too big a deal about this because we are really practical. And you know, first and foremost, we just want to run a good company. And make enough money to get to the end of each month and pay everybody's wages and whatnot but but yeah you know we do there is um there's a lot of purpose in what we do, and um for my part, I just feel really lucky to you know have uh to be doing something that I enjoy in a nice environment and um and to be doing what i'm doing and and the thought that you could do something good off the back of that um something that's worthwhile, something that's important, um, something that contributes to the world in some way is very exciting and I think design really has um, the capacity to do that you only have to look at the um, d and awards and the white pencil scheme and many other comparable um, things that are out there in the world to see that uh, creative people and designers have great skills for, for doing good things, uh, not least just in areas of communication where we can we can talk about important stuff in a way that um that people that can resonate with people um so yeah you know if there's an if you can do something good I think you should you should do
0: it so th- so th- keeping that in mind when you look back on your however many what 15 years of work now you've been uh, oh being yeah. at it 15 yeah what's the thing that sticks out in your mind is the thing that you're really like proudest of the thing that you're most pleased with um
1: actually I, I don't know I, I i don't i mean still being around uh, i suppose <laughs> um, yeah I mean, Do you mean
0: you like corporeally
1: on this world <laughs> or <laughs> yeah you know trying to eat well um you having stuck at it for a long time because um we've had some very very difficult times um I think maybe um when we when we finished making white lies, um which was something that we were extremely proud of and um I'm very lucky that it was that it had been a well-received mag. I didn't think that we could ever do something again that would be that would be good. And, and we should say, Little White Lies
0: is still being published now. It still yeah, exists. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and then, which I'm delighted about as well. You know, it still goes strong and it has a great team working on it, and that's ace. But um, for us, we we stopped doing it. It was time for us to do something new, and it's like um, it's like a difficult second album or something. It's like I really wanted to make another mag, but what if it was? what if it was rubbish <laughs> you know and i think um weapon, all, all mags all projects all anything that anyone does in life start a bit rusty and and get better um over time hopefully and it's not like issue one of weapons the reason was some stonking achievement but um but it was it was all right and issue two was better and you know almost sort of we haven't like um lost our way yet so yeah i think i'm proud to have started again yeah yeah with something
0: and where's the mag going from here because there, would, there's something quite special about it in terms of it, you, you've limited the number of copies that you're ever going to make of the magazine, so you know this is not something that's going to run and run forever. Yeah, that's true. We have said that there will be eight issues, the theme of which
1: we already know. So, um, they're huge, um, broad themes like, say, conflict. Um, you know, we know we will do a conflict issue, and and through make um, through making eight issues, we'll sort of um, examine the interconnections between those issues. Because uh we have learned in the past, both through client and personal work, that all of the world 's biggest problems are very much interconnected um, but i i don't know you know like i um I think um we talked about this yesterday um here at Indycon um everything that happened to me with white lives was very serendipitous. We worked hard, um you know, so it was like we were we worked super hard to try and do something good, but we didn 't really know where it was going. You never kind of really can in a way. So I, I don't know what will happen with Weapons of Reason. I don't know if we'll do eight issues and and stop, or do eight issues and then suddenly turn it into a monthly magazine, and I'll be making it when I'm 80, or if it will become a website, or uh, I, you know, it's it's really really hard to say. To be honest with you, um, I think for now we're just focused on getting each subsequent issue out because it's really tough to just mobilise again every six months and um, and find the time and headspace and, and money because it costs money to do because it's free mag and doesn't have any ads in it or anything um, to, to, to sort of go again. So a sort of fairly short-termist view on it, I guess.
0: So in your short-termist view, what, what's happening with the next one?
1: Um, well, um, um, our editor is James Cartwright, uh, who used to uh, edit printed pages, and is uh, a super talented guy um, has his um, sights set on a power issue. Um, I had a meeting with him and some other editorial um, people who work on the mag a couple of weeks ago, during which they talked about their plans for the issue, and it was—I know I always say this—but it just went so far over my head. It was untrue, so I just listened and nodded, and it all sounded very interesting. And um, I, yeah, I, I think they're—they're they're sort of focusing in on, on an issue which um, which examines like the balance of power in the world. Where does power lie? Um, sort of corporatist states—the balance of power between corporations and governments—which is something which is extremely important in say the U.S. Um, and yeah, I think, I, th- I think that's that's sort of where they're headed with the next issue. Equally, you know, that 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 could that could change and, and become something else. But that is that that is the
0: plan. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it, whatever it is. So, thanks very much for taking the time, and um, I'll see you back in London.
1: So, mate, my pleasure.
0: Okay, that's it for this week. Thanks again to Danny for coming and sitting out in the gardens with me in Hamburg. I imagine he's probably completely forgotten that he even did that. It's been so long now, so I hope this is a nice surprise for him. And speaking of nice surprises, because you know I love those segues, remember to give Stack as a gift this Christmas. If you go to stackmagazines.com forward slash Christmas, that's stackmagazines.com forward slash Christmas, you will see all of our special offers in there, uh, and I hope that you'll find something for you. Thanks for listening.